everyone, Shirley here. Bid protests are a normal legal mechanism for government contractors to challenge either the terms of a solicitation or the government's award decision. Bid protests are used to ensure that the government acted fairly and reasonably, consistent with the methodology it stated it would use, and consistent with the law. There are different forms in which to protest, benefits, risks, and varying outcomes. That's what we're talking about today, understanding the regulations, processes, and strategies used by bidders is critical to leveraging this beneficial tool. Let's begin by talking about why protests are allowed by the government. Well, we operate in a democracy, at least so far. The government represents the best interests of the American people, and as such, there is oversight and accountability. And in this case, accountability that the procurement process is being conducted fairly, openly, and within the federal acquisition regulations known as the FAR. However, program and procurement officials are human. They make mistakes. Protests provide a checks and balance to the government's extraordinarily complex, although well-intentioned, procurement system, which each year acquires $650 billion dollars and discretionary goods and services. To help me flesh out these issues, I reached out to Daniel Strauss, a partner with the law firm Cordatus. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks, Shirley. It's really great to be here today. Well, it's great to have you. Tell our audience a little about yourself and Cordatus. Absolutely. I'm a partner at Cordatus LLP. I've been working as a government contract attorney for about 11 years. Our law firm is a boutique law firm that represents government contractors only. Uh, we only do government contract law, and we've been doing this for over 40 years. Currently, we have 11 attorneys that represent contractors across the entire spectrum of issues that they might come across. Some of these issues include teaming agreements, subcontract agreements, small business compliance concerns, joint ventures. We also represent parties when they have disputes either with the government or with their prime subcontractor relationship. And of course, as we're going to talk about today, we work with clients on bid protests. Excellent. Vendors can and should protest procurements for a number of reasons. The solicitation is not clear on what the government wants. For example, there are conflicting requirements. We've all seen that in RFPs. What exactly they want to see in the proposal if the evaluation criteria restricts competition, or are just unclear, if the terms of the solicitation appear to favor some offerers over others, or if pricing is not being evaluated properly. Ambiguity, inaccuracies, failure to follow the stated evaluation criteria, and the appearance of favoritism are the most often cited reasons for protesting procurements. So, Daniel, tell us about the different forums in which vendors can protest. Sure, absolutely, Shirley. And, and I'd add to, to your description above that there's also a lot of issue. There, there are three different forums to protest, uh, generally speaking. The first forum is directly with the agency, with the protest to be decided by one level above the contracting officer who generally acts as the source election authority. This is the most basic forum because the protester gets to make its argument and then the government simply gets to make the decision without any evaluation of a record, without any of the protester getting to see any additional information. 
The second forum, which I believe to be the most commonly used forum, is the Government Accountability Office. There, the process is a bit more judicial than at the agency level. Um, after filing the protest, the government provides the contractor, or more accurately, the contractor's attorney, with the relevant documents as well as legal arguments. We then get to file a response, and the judge, which is not really a judge, but it's an attorney who acts as the judge, becomes the ruler based on the record, and it's a paper argument only with occasional exception. The third forum is the Court of Federal Claims. There, like GAO, the process is formal in nature. The record also comes, and we get, instead of where you just get a paper record and a decision from paper documents, there the process also includes oral arguments. Now, there are pros and cons of the different forums and different circumstances under which you would choose one forum over the other, starting with the cost, which, of course, is important to small businesses. Absolutely. Uh, The cheapest avenue is with the agency-level protest. Uh, But as we discussed a second ago, the downside there is that the government is simply reviewing its own decision. They've already worked through the process and made its own decision, and so the opportunity for success is significantly less likely. Uh, You also don't get an opportunity to review any document. So the path forward to future arguments and to a successful protest is less likely. However, it is definitively the cheapest avenue. So when would you use an agency-level protest? We often use agency-level protests when we're challenging the terms of a solicitation uh, as opposed to challenging an award decision. This creates a significantly less acrimonious process and a quicker resolution, and it allows you to stay a little bit behind the scenes and allow the government to work to make a decision without having to deal with the public-facing process of everybody knowing a protest has been filed. So when the terms of a solicitation might just be off a little bit or when they favor one offer or over another, we tend to file an agency-level protest first to keep things moving more quickly and less contentious. So in this case, uh, just to clarify, if the RFP process appears to be vague, favoring one vendor over others, or otherwise inconsistent with the FAR, bidders may protest. Absolutely. Now, the FAR encourages vendors to resolve concerns first with frank and open discussions with the contracting officer. Many times the RFP process is delayed so the agency can send out clarifying information based upon feedback from contractors. We've all seen that. You don't always have to file a formal protest. When a protest is filed before contract award, the government has the option to stop the RFP process. And if the protest is filed after contract award, performance on that contract will stop unless the government decides it is in their best interest to continue. In any case, the government endeavors to resolve protests within 35 days. So now let's talk about the benefits of filing at the Government Accountability Office, known as the GAO. Thank you. And as I said above, this is the most common form for protests. Assuming that protests are submitted within the appropriate time frame, Or if you file a pre-award protest, the government is precluded from continuing with making an award decision while the protest is pending. 
So an incumbent, this presents a huge advantage as typically the work stays with the incumbent while the protest is pending. So for the cost of a protest, the contractor can continue performance for 100 days or so. But I'd be loath to say that this is the only benefit. The, the, the stay also benefits contractors that are not the incumbent because by staying performance, the agency can't move forward with the work and effectively put the contractors that spent the time, money, and energy into proposing without a reasonable remedy because the authority would be knee-deep in the work. And, and so the stay benefits all parties. And, and that tends to be the most significant benefit of a GAO protest. Oh, that's interesting. So, Dan, if the stay is the biggest reason to go to the GAO, is there an automatic stay? There is an automatic stay at GAO. Uh, if you file the protest within 10 days of award or within five days of a required debriefing, whichever is later, um, and that, that, again, is the biggest reason to go to GAO is to effectively stop the procurement in its tracks and, and continue. At court, there is no automatic stay, um, so, so that that is a big difference. However, when you go to court, there is a better opportunity to see the entire evaluation record and to assess whether the problems occurred throughout the procurement that record will generally be larger than the record you get at GAO because when you file an initial protest, you don't really know very much at all. We, we generally get more information when we see the record. And so even though the court doesn't have an automatic stay while GAO does, there does become a benefit to seeing the documents that are available, which extend beyond what you get at GAO. So I want to clarify what happens when you file a protest with the GAO. You as a bidder or contractor may suspect that a procurement was not fair from what you can see from the public solicitation documents, but additional documentation from the government is made available when a protest is filed with the GAO. And this discovery, usually by your attorney, can significantly inform and expand the basis of the protest. So under what circumstances would you then go to the Court of Federal Claims? There are several opportunities and instances where one would go to the Court of Federal Claims instead of GAO or the agency. The first is if you've lost at GAO, if you've decided to file your initial protest at GAO um, and GAO denies the protest, if the client feels like it's a significant opportunity or feels like there's a significant opportunity to still win the protest, um, maybe because the record was significantly limited at GAO, the party can still go to the Court of Federal Claims. If, for example, at GAO you were only able to get access to or your attorney was only able to get access to the records related to the protester's proposal and the protester's evaluation but the contractor believes that maybe there's something within the evaluation of the awardee, the contractor might decide to go to the Court of Federal Claims because there you'll get the record or the attorneys will get the record to include the contractor awardee's proposal. And that would open up potentially other protest grounds. As you you noted, uh, the discovery process is pretty critical to this because going in, the protester knows very little. And so when the protester doesn't know very much, Um, The best opportunity is getting a thorough record, and if the record is sparse at GAO, they might get a better record at the Court of Federal Claims 
opening up other protest grounds. Other times there might be an opportunity where the court takes a different approach than GAO in certain issues, and, and so it might be more beneficial to go to the court to handle your protest rather than GAO. So what do you mean by being more beneficial to be heard by the court? Can you give us an example? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For example, in Department of Defense procurements that are over $100 million, there, there's a DFARS rule, and DFARS is a defense federal acquisition regulation that is specific to the Department of Defense. There's a rule that says contracting officers, quote, should conduct discussions with offerors, which would allow the contractor an opportunity to fix mistakes that the government had found and potentially to lower or, if necessary, even raise their price. GAO has taken this rule and generally stated that the government is not mandated to conduct discussions on those procurements, but maintains discretion to do so. So if you had a defense contractor who lost a procurement that was valued over $100 million and they didn't have an opportunity to participate in discussions, filing that protest at GAO would not likely be successful. However, if you went to the court, the court could allow a different interpretation. Recently, Judge Solomson, a judge at the Court of Federal Claims, issued a decision that deviated from GAO standard. There, the court found that there's a presumption that this DFARS rule requires the government to conduct discussions unless the government can provide a good, reasonable rationale as to why it didn't conduct them. Um, So in the case where you had a $100 million procurement, which is obviously a significant procurement, and you lose but didn't get the opportunity to participate in discussions, going to court would probably be more beneficial than going to GAO because the ruling may turn out in your favor. I do want to note quickly, however, that the Court of Federal Claims isn't bound by the decisions from other judges at the Court of Federal Claims, so this doesn't... This doesn't guarantee that this would be the same result if you were to get a different judge. However, it it does show that there's an opportunity to take an issue that GAO has found to be what I call a loser and take it to the court where you might have an opportunity to win. Are there other circumstances under which you would go to the Court of Federal Claims? Sure. Sometimes the stay might not be important to you. Um, Maybe it's a really large IDIQ contract and the government's not planning to issue task orders for a little while, and so you're willing to forego the stay, and and instead you might get a larger record, which could give you a better opportunity for success. There are other times where the government might be willing to voluntarily stay performance, so the stay won't matter, and again, you would get the benefit of a larger record However, and and I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, the cost may be a little bit higher going to court. So so these become personal decisions and business decisions for the clients to make, uh, depending on the circumstances of the case. Daniel, we need to take a break. I'm talking to Daniel Strauss, a partner with the law firm Cardatus, on how protests can be used strategically by small businesses. When we come back, we'll talk about the time it takes and the cost involved. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This Growthmasters Federal presentation is hosted by Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and build market value by developing and executing customized data-driven business development playbooks, 
building efficient information systems, and creating high-performing BD teams. Utilizing the proprietary Davy Business Development Growth Framework, Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to increase their company's value by achieving profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to learn more about the Davy Growth Framework and how it can be instrumental in helping grow your federal contracting business. Back now to Shirley's conversation with Daniel Strauss, a partner with Cordatus LLP, as they discuss how to strategically utilize bid protests. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the different forums in which to file a protest. Dan, how long does it take and what are the costs associated with adjudicating protest in each of the three forums? Each forum has different timelines. For an agency protest, the agency will make its, quote, best efforts to resolve the protest within 35 days. However, there's no additional opportunities for briefing or a review of the record. So once you file the protest, the government gets to make a decision and you're done. For GAO, the protest takes 100 days from the date of filing the initial protest until a decision. Along the way, there are many different steps. For example, the agency will file a report which will allow the protester to file comments or or raise any new issues that they find from the record. Uh, However, the process will definitively be complete by day 100 because GAO is statutorily required to make a decision in that time. At court, the timelines um, are really dependent on the parties and the judge. Uh, Each protest kind of takes on a life of its own, and the facts and circumstances drive the timeline. In in some cases, when the government doesn't agree to a voluntary stay, the protester might ask the court to enjoin continuing performance, which would effectively stop performance. In those circumstances, the court will make a decision pretty quickly, but the protest may continue after that. Uh, the, the timelines at court are really circumstance-dependent. Uh, regarding cost, um, it's also dependent on the facts of each case and circumstances. I, I try not to put a number on each protest without knowing the facts and circumstances of that particular case. Can you give us a range uh, for small businesses uh, to get a sense? Are we talking about hundreds of dollars, tens of thousands? Generally, you're speaking in the tens of thousands Uh, We obviously do our best to keep costs down for our clients to the best of our ability, Uh, but you're you're not talking in the hundreds. You're definitely talking in the tens of thousands. Okay, and that can be a good investment if the size of the the contract is substantial. It can absolutely be a good investment if, if the size of the contract is substantial or if it's a critical aspect of your business plan. If it's been your driving contract for the past five years, and you lose, then, then the tens of thousands of dollars to try and get that work is, is significant. It, it also requires you to have some significant trust in your attorney to make sure that you're making a, a good investment. Um, I, I work hard to tell clients if and when they have an opportunity to protest, whether there's a good likelihood of success, uh, or at least whether there's a likelihood to get a record that would allow us to make that decision later. And while the protest process is in, is likely in the tens and thousands of dollars range, there are avenues to ramp off at any point in time. For example, 
after the contract attorney receives the record, uh, we might have a better assessment of whether there's a chance for success. And I'm always willing to tell clients, hey, we've looked at the record and the opportunity to succeed is not worth the continued investment. Um, so, so there are always opportunities to ramp off of your protest, even if you think it's a good initial investment. Yeah, excellent, excellent. These protests are generally between the government and the protester, but what if you're the company that wins the award? Absolutely. Both GAO and the Court of Federal Claims provide a right for the awardees to intervene in the protest, and in no uncertain terms you should. What intervention allows you to do is it allows the attorney to protect the rights of the awardee and to support the government if they desire. It also makes sure... um, Protests go under a protective order where only the attorneys are able to see the information, so confidential information is protected. And it allows the intervener, at the very least, to make sure that the awardee's confidential information isn't disclosed to third parties. The government is defending its own interests in the protest, and the only one who can reasonably look after the awardee is the awardee, or more accurately, the awardee's counsel. And so I encourage all offerors that win to intervene in protests because I think it provides a great opportunity to protect your own interests. Now, many times my clients are reluctant to file a protest for fear that an agency will get mad at them and purposefully not award them the contract as retaliation. This question comes up almost all of the time when companies are deciding whether or not to protest. Generally speaking, while I think it'd be naive to say that the government doesn't get mad, I don't think they get mad enough that it impacts the decisions the government makes on either that procurement or future procurements. If one becomes a serial protester, protesting repeatedly, the government may feel differently. However, challenging an award when you believe that you've been wronged I believe it's become kind of a part of doing business with the government, and the government doesn't typically hold it against you. Of course, this becomes a business decision, and the clients generally have a better understanding of what's going on on the ground with the customer relationships than I do. Uh, But my general understanding is that there's no bad will for filing a protest. You should always use good business sense. Can this be resolved without a protest? How much will it cost? What are our chances of success? And what is our chance of receiving the actual contract award? And there's also an opportunity cost. What else could we be working on that might produce better business results? However, well-thought-out, well-reasoned bid protests are highly effective, as Dan has alluded. The system is there to provide an oversight of the government's extraordinarily complex procurement processes. Sometimes highly experienced vendors do know more than less experienced government acquisition professionals. However, I never assume the worst intent by government officials. Many times decisions are made based upon their lack of knowledge, an oversight on their part, misunderstanding of the FAR, or lack of familiarity with the goods and services being acquired. Absolutely, Shirley. And and I want to highlight something you just mentioned, which is that filing a protest doesn't and, and winning doesn't necessarily mean that the contractor is going to win the award. Um, it only would allow the contracting office to go back and make a new decision. Um, and, so, and so that definitely has to play a role in deciding whether or not to protest. 
I'll also say that I believe there are times that filing a protest, even if you lose, can be helpful. It, it helps the government stay honest. It helps to make sure that if you feel like you've been repeatedly harmed, that you want to make sure that your voice is heard and that you, a protest may just help the government reconsider in, in the future or in that procurement itself. Daniel, what do small businesses most often misunderstand about protests? The, the timeline. We often get calls really late, which makes it either difficult to file or, or in some cases, would make the protest untimely. Uh, the, the most significant issue that typically comes up is we get calls about issues that should have been raised before proposals were due, but, but we get those calls after the award has been made, and, and then we can't file that protest. So give us an idea of the timelines. Sure, absolutely. If a protester wants to challenge the terms of a solicitation, it, it must do so before award rather than waiting to find out that it has lost the contract. For instance, we often hear that clients call and they're upset that they were given a weakness for not providing enough detail in their proposal. And the general refrain from them is that the page limit was really small and it prevented them from providing that detail. However, that's the type of issue that needs to be challenged before award, not after. For, for post-award protests at the agency or GAO, uh, we often get late calls as well. The, the protest should be filed within 10 days of when the protester knew or should have known the protest grounds. Um, there are exceptions to this rule. For example, when the debriefing is required under AFR Part 15 procurement, the government must stay performance if the protest is filed within five days of the required debriefing or 10 days after award. So the timelines are tight, and I think protesters, small businesses, or large businesses often wind up in a situation where they come to the party pretty late. Yeah, the timelines are really tight. So it's prudent to think and act quickly. What else do small businesses misunderstand? There's a perception in the industry that protesting creates bad relationships with the government and I think that keeps companies, uh, particularly small businesses, from pursuing a protest for fear of reprisal from the government. As we talked about before, I think that fear is largely unfounded. I actually think that in some cases, filing a protest can help the party because the government knows you aren't willing to just let a decision that you think was improper go by and you're going to stand down. I also think that small businesses filing for the first time have a difficult time just understanding the process. And, and as we discussed earlier, um, the timelines are pretty tight. So I try to work with companies before they ever get to the point of filing a protest to understand the process and to understand how it goes so that when we have to make fast decisions, um, they understand the process and don't have to be confused. That's an excellent approach, Daniel. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with our audience today. Thanks for having me, Shirley. It's been really great. Folks, if you would like to get in touch with Daniel, he can be reached at dstrauss at Cardatis Law, and that's C-O-R-D-A-T-I-S law.com. Or you can reach out to us here at Scale to Market, and we'll make sure you're connected. This is Shirley Collier, president of Scale to Market and host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now. As we close, I want to thank you for joining us today and encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit our website, that's scale2market.com, with the number two in the middle. 
where you will find our library of podcasts, webcasts, white papers, my blog, and other links and resources. While there, please leave us a comment or suggestion so we can stay focused on what's important to you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.